Hey guys, good afternoon. Um, I know that there's a hiking at 2.30, so uh, I know that we're pressed on time. I believe it's 1.40. Um, <clears throat> so I, I guess, uh, welcome to Marriage uh, Talk, session two. Um, really quick, I, I think we'll just make it a little bit more interactive. Uh, I believe that this mic is bit too loud. Better. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Can you get? Hello. How about now? Perfect. Okay. Um, okay. So obviously, last session we actually we talked about basically at the foundational level about how marriage is seen as commitment, and we talked about. Uh, basically, my wife and I, our story, uh, in particular, the messes that we've had, and all of these kind of things. But foundationally, I just wanted to give us a framework of what the gospel and marriage is all about, right? So today, it's not going to be—it's uh, not—it's going to be less story of our own lives. It's going to be a little bit more, uh, you know, interactive as much as possible, as much as I, as much as possible. But uh, I know that we're pressed on time. But there are key things that I actually want to focus on that I actually want to talk about, in particular dating, in particular singleness, in particular, um, <clears throat> I guess why homosexuality is a big, big, big topic. Uh, it's a really, really big, big topic. So, uh, and so in this way, because we're really pressed on time, I want us to really, as much as possible, be interactive. Um, so I guess my, um, <clears throat> Harsha, I don't know if I'm going to do the full PowerPoint. Um, I'll just, huh? Yeah, perfect. Um, so if you remember, if you remember last time when I was talking about how how marriage is seen as a commitment. So basically, it's not based on feelings or how you're feeling at the moment, right? You're, it's based on a, a sense of commitment. So you do acts of love, regardless of how you feel, right? That's that's basically it's covenantal. Uh, you may not feel tender or sympathetic, but your your actions uh, should be tender and forgiving and helpful and all of these things. Why do you do that? Because God is committed to people like us, right? That was a basic. Those who were here last yesterday, that was the basic uh, gist of it. Uh, today, what I actually want to talk about, there are three couple of topics or at least three things that I actually want to discuss today. One is, why in the world did God make male and female? That's one. And secondly, I want to actually talk about a word on homosexuality. I mean, homosexuality, I'm, I'm not an expert. I told you even yesterday, I'm not an expert on marriage or the gospel or any of these kind of things. Neither, I'm not even an expert on, on homosexuality. But there are, these are very, very relevant topics because we're living in a culture where everything is permissible. Everything is permissible. So I want us to talk about a little bit about homosexuality and the purpose of marriage. And what I mean is, specifically, how do we develop friendship and, and dating? How, how do we, what, what does it mean to date somebody? How do we date someone? Or if you like somebody, what do you do? Uh, things like that. And so uh, I hope that I can get you guys by 2.30. But if you guys got to leave, you guys got to leave. But uh, we'll try to really, as much as we can, we'll try to cover as much as possible. Um, so if I ask you a question, okay, there are no wrong answer, no wrong answers at all, okay? 
why do you think that God made male and female? What would you say? Yeah. Oh, oh, yes. We're made in God's image, okay. Any other response? Huh? Companion. Hmm. Good. Okay. <laughs> What's that? Support. Do you see what you're saying? I mean, I, I could just walk. I mean, you're just you're just, <laughs> you're just basically saying exactly what the message is about. So one is the image of God. So somebody designed something. So if you're in the work field, or if you're a product manager, or if you're a business analyst, or you write requirements, you're based you're basing that requirements based on a design, right? And so something or someone designed us, male and female. We we're created in the image of God. Uh, what, what, what did you say, bro? Companion. So there is this sense called, in other words, the, friendship. So marriage is also seen as, or relationship is seen as, or community is seen as friendship. There's a bond that's actually being established. And what was the other thing that you said? Support, right? Support. So a suitable helper. You're supporting one another, so that's really, really good. Any other? Huh? Compliment. So the, that would, I would say that, yeah, the, you're complimenting, supporting one another. Okay, what else? Yes, yes, yes. So it's the best version of God. So in so even Lindsay, I'm glad that you said that because even in the Godhead, okay, the Godhead, there is one God, three persons, right? There's one God and three persons. So they're not they're not they're not like one lower or the other or anything like that. But they're both. There's this inter, uh, I guess interrelating of community there. So that's really good. What else? Why do you think, so let me ask you another question, why do you think that there is, uh, there's so much confusion in this age? Why do you think that there is so much confusion in this age? I mean, how many of us have been exposed to people who are bisexuals, homosexuals, things like that? Wow. Wow, okay. Um, so why do you think that there's confusion? What do you what do you think? Yes? What's that? They don't feel satisfied. Okay, they don't feel satisfied. Good, okay. What else? Huh? So there's no rules on based on what? Ba so there's so rules. So so there's no absolute rule. Right? So people are picking and choosing what they want to do. So, if, so for example, um, one of, I guess one of the things that I did teach math at a, uh, I guess at a trade school, it's called International Design and Technology, and I taught math as well as ethics. And I taught about maybe one or two years in that school. And in that school, I, I basically made a list of what people what basically people are saying about about culture and how culture is influencing them and what truth is. So for example, they would say things like, hey, if that is true for you, 
That's good, but not for me. So, so in other words, rule in many ways are, are basically your own perspective, your own opinion, right? So in other words, they would say, well, it's just a matter of perspective, right? It's just, it's just more of like, hey, if that is your perspective, that's great. It ain't mine. Right? Don't we hear all this stuff? Or if that's your opinion, or, or, or they would say, hey, there are so many roads to truth, but you just got to pick one. But don't, please don't give me Jesus, please. <laughs> so we hear this. We, we hear this constantly. And mostly, we also also hear that, hey, you can't really claim what, what's in the Bible is really truth, right? It's all fabricated. It's all messed up. It's all distorted. You can't really tell what's in the Bible. So in other words, in other words, we as people of the culture, so to speak, it's easy for us to keep in step with the Kardashians, okay, about how they define what is sexuality, what is truth, what is goodness, and what is beauty. It's easy to adapt or to change into the current of the culture. It's easy. We don't want to, we don't, we really, we really don't think that truth is absolute. We really don't think that. We don't believe that at all. So back in 2015, actually, I don't know if you've heard, but back in 2015, uh, one of the most popular, yeah, one of the most popular, do you, do you know who that is? Bruce, yes, it's Bruce Jenner. And so 2015, actually, there was this article in New York Times, there was this obsession over identity. Obsession. I'm not saying identity, identity in terms of what, what is male, what is female, okay? And we were confronted by a barrage of what it means to be shaped into something else when it comes to our sexual and gender identity. So there was, there was a TV show called Transparent. Did you guys ever hear that? Transparent? Yeah. So Transparent is about a family patriarch, actually, who became a trans woman. He became a trans woman, and the kids would call her, not Papa, you know what they would call her? Mopa. So, it's, it's, so what I'm saying is, it's in the mainstream of our culture. TV is endorsing this kind of gender confusion. So in light of all of this, 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 you know, this picture of Caitlyn Jenner uh, in the uh, Vanity Fair, do you, what do you notice about this picture? What do you notice about this picture? Besides, he's a guy. But what do you, what do you notice? Yes? Huh? He's sexualized, okay. What else? Looks like a man, but dressed as a woman. Okay. Anything else? What, what, what do you, come on, perceptive guys. Come on, what, what, what else do you notice in this picture? It's sub, what? Who said, oh my gosh, that, that's right. His hands are hidden. His hands are hidden. Why are her hands, why are, why is his hands, <laughs> why are his hands covered? I mean, I mean, this photographer actually, who who um, who basically uh, uh, took this picture. I mean, he's not a Christian at all. 
But you know what he confessed? He confessed that he didn't even know what to do with his, with his many hands. He had no idea what to do with them. And so what he did was he hit him. He hit him. And so you know what that actually tells me? It tells me that we can listen to all what the culture is telling us. You can be all that you want to be, all that mumbo jumbo. But in the reality of our life, however, the, the fact that we are made as male and female, we cannot hide the fingerprints of God. We cannot. There's no way that we can actually tamper with the fingerprints of God himself. There is a designer. We can try to tamper with God's design, but how he has crafted us, how he has made us, will continue to shine through. Will continue to shine, shine through. So one of, the, one of the signposts, okay, my dear friends, one of the signposts that, that God, God is alive or God exists is because what Lindsay said, that God made us male and female. That God made us male and female. Now, somebody also said, Previn, I believe, said that God made us not only male and female, he made us in his image. Turn with me to Genesis 1, verse 27. Turn or flip, swipe. Look at Genesis 1, verse 27. It says, God created man in his own image. Man meaning humanity. Man meaning man. So God created man in his own image, telling us that we are made in the image of God. We didn't come from apes. We didn't come from the rocks. There was a designer. There was a, or there is a designer. So the other line in verse 27 says, in the image of God he created. So the emphasis falls on the image of God. That's what it is. That the, that's what it falls. So who made man? God. And what did God make man like? In his image. Then it says, male and female, he created them. Two kinds. So when you read Genesis 1 to 2, actually, if you ever read it, now you know that God created the fish. He created the birds, he created all the other creatures, as male and female. But the writer of Genesis never, never made a sexual differentiation when it comes to, when it comes to these animals. Never. We are simply just told that they would reproduce. But with the man and the woman, that sexual differentiation is mentioned. Is mentioned. Animal, animal reproduction puppy reproduction, whatever, animal reproduction is assumed. But human sexuality is actually celebrated. It's celebrated by the designer himself. So that is highly important for what it means to be human. It, it helps us to tell us who we are, our identity as male and female. And so then what it, done, it does, it makes it, it makes it pays the way for being fruitful and to multiply and 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 all of these different things because our sexual differences matter to God and I want to show you why why does it matter it does matter it really does matter so on the one hand being human male and female 
shows remarkable unity, right? I mean, we may not look the same. I'm, our nose would be a little bigger. I'm, eyebrows would be, <laughs> be bigger. Our ears. So we may, we may, we may look. The, I mean, we may look different, but there's unity. There's sameness, right? There's same. We're same people, but it also shows remarkable diversity. Remarkable diversity, men, women, children, race, different intelligence, different personality type, different capability, different tribes, different languages, different cultures, different nations. And the way we relate to one another is to be made as one people. As one people. So there is, there is remarkable unity in the midst of remarkable diversity. And that difference is celebrated. It is essential because God made us sexually polar opposites, male and female. We cannot divorce who we are from our gender. Our gender matters to God. Why do I say that? Because it's rooted in truth. That's what it. That's why. That's why. And so, if you. If you look at our gender, okay, if you look at our gender, whether with all the differences and unity, you know what it actually, it's a theater. It's really a theater. It's a theater display. It's displaying God's goodness, God's order, because our God is not of disorder. It's out of order. So the fact that we are sitting here as male and female, it shows remarkable it shows remarkable unity and, and remarkable diversity, and it shows the goodness of God. So it's powerful, right? So even though we are different, the goal is to be made as one. Did you guys catch that? Even though we're all different, the goal is to be made one. So that's the experience of God's people, that they may all be one. That they may all, all be one. So, so that our identity matters. We can never hide. We can never try to tamper from what God has created us to be. And for this photographer, oops, for this photographer, he himself, who is not a Christian, had to hide his hands because he didn't know what to do with them. We're finite beings. There's an originator, a designer, a, a, a person who created us as male and female. Secondly, I, I want us to really talk about, tied to this, I want us to talk about a little bit about homosexuality. I want a little, I want to have a conversation. Now, how, we, so how many of us know, I guess, how many of us know personally any homosexuals? Personally, meaning you interact with them. Interact, talking, yeah? So what is your experience? Anybody, what is your experience like when you talk to, the, to that group of people? Yeah? Just a normal person, okay. What else? They elaborate on why. Oh, okay, okay, okay. What? Yes. Mm. 
<clears throat> she's saying that one of her best friend is basically he's saying that uh, he doesn't choose to be this way. And that's huge. Huge. What else? Yes? Yeah, yeah. Got it, got it. Okay. Oh, we can't. Oh, okay. Sonny, can you, you want to repeat this? others <laughs> <laughs> so did you all hear that yeah okay thank you yes oh. so I, I was just asking do you know any of friends that are homosexual and what kind of conversation that you guys been having huh context of our sexuality or even in general as well okay yeah, even in general. Because this kind of conversation is helpful. It is helpful to have a conversation like this because the way that this world is coming, it's really, there's an obsession over identity and even a confusion over identity. And so as a church, it's not to ostracize these kind of people. It's not. That's, that's not the, what the gospel says. It's to actually pursue them with love. So there has to be a way of how do we cultivate a, a conversation that says, hey, wait a minute, let's really rethink of what is truth or what is goodness and what is actually beauty. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So, okay. Anyone else? Oh, hi. Um, I have a lot of students who are LGBTQ and a lot of these students for whatever reason come to me um, because they feel like they can trust me and, and they come to me for advice because at the end of the day these kids, some, I think someone else said it, they are very ostracized. They feel like they don't fit in. They don't belong. Yeah. And all they want is, is to be like their peers. And it's, it's really sad because a lot of the issues that I see with my kids is that they are being bullied left and right. And it results in so many of them feeling depressed. Um, I've had a few confide in me that they have had suicidal thoughts because of everything that is going on. Um, and all they want to do is just, they just want to be a kid. They just want to be accepted for who they are. Mm -hmm. that and it's, it's tough, especially because the few that are transitioning don't have the support at home from their parents as well. So there's that aspect of it too. Mm. Wow. Wow, thank you. <clears throat> so, yes. Oh. So one of my friends, he actually 
he initially started dating a girl um, in high school, and he had a, started he had a relationship with her. Oh, he had a relationship with her, and he tried, um, and he slowly he had thoughts before initially that he it might he might be different, he might feel different, but he had a start tried to have a relationship with her for about a year and a half, and then realized that's not right. And that's not that he, not, reali he re realized that that's not right. Like that's not that's not how he felt. That's like that's not why he doesn't have any feelings for her in that in that way. Oh, okay, got it. Um, and he so kind of accepted that himself because he grew up Catholic. He, he he grew up in a very strict Catholic house. His he's he hasn't come out to his family yet. His family doesn't know. He hides that side of it. He he is a Christian, he comes to church with me sometimes, mm. um, but it's just that side. He's been hiding that for the past five years. Mm. Um, it's just he ha he hasn't had that opportunity. He doesn't know how to bring it up with his parents. The fact that he is gay. Um, so we've talked about it, and the fact that he's been hiding for it for so long, and he he knows it's wrong to them because they're not going to accept it, and he's not his parents are a lot older so he, he does not want to burden them with that so that's what yeah i mean that that is that is huge because i think as a church there has to be so on the one hand we cannot ostracize we cannot ostracize there has to be a movement of of how do we how do we understand what homosexuality is first of all and how do we how do we befriend them in such a way that that you are loving and encouraging and things of the nature at, and accepting them and then showing them what is true and that's that's the process where we need to this session will not be the end of it there has to be a constant dialogue with your leadership with your youth group and with your whoever who are, you know Brian Robinachin and all that you guys got to really have this kind of conversation where how do we engage the gospel because the gospel tells us that we're all sinners whether you're hetero or homo or bi or whatever you are, we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. And if the gospel is true, then I cannot by any way ostracize someone who is who's different, at least in the makeup of it. Okay, so I think there needs to be a better conversation. I think there needs to be a conversation that really needs to... So growing up, actually, I knew only one person I mean, it's amazing how how times have changed. But I knew only one person who has really struggled with homosexuality. I mean, obviously now I knew I know multiple people because of work and things like that. But back then, I didn't even know how to even associate. What, what is it? When he shared this to me, I was like, "What?" Like it it, it didn't register. I, I I just didn't know how to process. But he's actually a believer, meaning he's a Christian. He's married to a female. Uh, has a couple of kids, I, I believe, but uh, I'm not even, even to this day, I'm not sure the, the nature of a struggle or what he goes through or any of those kind of things, but, uh, but I have been reading a particular person who's an English professor, and she is exceptionally bright. Exceptionally bright. She was a practicing homosexual, but was converted to Christianity. She is a person who actually hated Christians. She absolutely hated Christians. <laughs> she did not like them at, at all. Intell intellectually, she just did not like them. 
but she became one. So I just want to read her story, if you can bear with me. So I just want to read her story. Rosaria Butterfield, he said, she said, this is what she says. I had nothing to do with Christians. I actually hated them. As a university professor, I know Christians in particular were bad readers, always seizing opportunities to insert a Bible verse into a conversation with the same point as a punctuation mark. It's stupid. It's pointless. That's what I thought of Christians and their God, Jesus. As a professor of English and women's studies on the track of becoming a tenure radical, I cared about morality. I cared about justice. I cared about compassion. But there are these people who are called Christians. They have this narrative of being right, politically right as well, even Christianizing. But it demanded my attention. My life was happy. It was meaningful. It was full. My partner and I shared many interests like AIDS and children's health and golden retriever rescue and, and our church. However, I began to research on these folks who are called Christians and their hatred, their hatred against people like me. And to do this, I would want to read this one book that they read called the Bible. While on, while on the lookout for some Bible scholar to aid me in my research, I launched my first attack against Jesus. But I received a letter. A pastor named Ken from Syracuse Presbyterian Church. He said a few questions that really perked my eyes. He said, how did you arrive at your interpretation? How do you know that you're right? Do you believe in God? I just didn't know how to respond to it, so I just threw it away. Later that night, I fished it out from the recycling bin and put it on my desk, but I stared at it for a week, two weeks. As a postmodern intellect, what that means is what's true for you is what's true for you, and what's true for me is what's true for me. That's what it means. As a postmodern intellect, I operated from materialistic worldview, meaning secular worldview. But Christianity is an altogether different worldview. But Ken's letter, the pastor's letter, punctured the integrity of my research without him knowing it. With the letter, Ken initiated two years of bringing the church to me, a heathen. The pastor did not mock, he engaged. But something else happened. Ken and his wife, Floyd, and I became friends. They entered my world. They met my friends. We did book exchanges. We talked openly about sexuality and politics. They did not act as if conversations were polluting, polluting them. They did not treat me like a blank state. We ate together. But Ken prayed in a way that I have never heard before. His prayers were intimate, vulnerable, he repented of his sin in front of me. He thanked God for all things. Ken's God was holy and firm, yet full of mercy. And because Ken and Floyd did not invite me to church, I knew it was safe to be friends. So I started reading the Bible. I read it, devoured it. I read it many times that first year in multiple translations. 
after conversations with my friends, I really started to think, what if it's true? What if Jesus is real? What if he is risen? What if we're all in trouble? I continued reading the Bible. Bible got to be bigger inside than me. It overflowed into my world. I fought against it with all my might. Then one Sunday morning, I rose from the bed of my lesbian lover. An hour later, I sat in a pew at the Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church. Conspicuous with my butch haircut, I reminded myself that I came to meet God. I fought with everything I had. I did not want this. I did not ask for this. I counted the cost. I did not like the math on the other side of the equal sign. So on that Sunday, Pastor Ken preached from John 7, 17. He said, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God. This verse exposed the quickstand in which my feet were stuck. I was a thinker. I wrestled with the question, did I really want to understand homosexuality from God's point of view? Or do I just want to argue with him? I prayed that night that God would give me a willingness to obey before I understood. I prayed long into the unfolding of the day. When I looked in the mirror, I looked the same. But when I looked into my heart through the lens of the Bible, I wondered, am I a lesbian? Or has this all been a case of mistaken identity? If Jesus could split the world asunder, divide marrow from the soul, could he make my true identity prevail? Who am I? Who will God have me to be? Then one ordinary day, I came to Jesus, open-handed. My pastor and his wife was there. They were my friends. The church that had been praying for me for years was there. Jesus triumphed, and I was a broken mess. Conversion is a train wreck. I did not want to lose everything that I loved. But the voice of God sang a love song in the rubble of my world. I weakly believed that if Jesus could conquer death, he could make right my world. I drank tentatively at first, then passionately. I rested in private peace, then community, and today, in the shelter of a covenant family where one calls me wife and many call me mother. I have not forgotten the blood of Jesus surrendered for this life and my former life lurks in the edges of my heart, shiny and still like a knife. What a remarkable story. A person who really struggled with homosexuality and still do. But do we really want to understand homosexuality from God's point of view? Do we? You know what sin is? Sin is really a misery of making anything in your life more important to your hope, to your identity, to your meaning, to your joy than God himself. We can easily violate God's authority to leverage your own. We can easily do that. We can easily violate God's design to market your own brand. 
we can easily violate God's peace to use and abuse your relationships. Only the death of the Son of God will make your life clean. <clears throat> so I just wanted to give a word on homosexuality only because there is, I hope through her story, through his, there's a paradigm there that we as a church, how do we approach and what does that mean for that particular person? Because when that person encounters Jesus himself, there's life. There's life. <clears throat> I just want to pause. Any comments? Okay, so finally, <clears throat> again, I, I don't mean to rush through, but I just want to make sure that we're able to linger this through and have more conversations with your leaders, um, in particular with people, your Achins and your youth group leader, because this kind of conversation is needed and to be understood properly in light of the gospel. Finally, um, lastly, what I want to communicate <clears throat> is purpose, basically purpose of marriage. Uh, I guess in this, I guess, I guess here's a question that I actually want to convey. Um, how, many of us have, how, many of us, how many of us have dated? Come on. Okay. How many? Uh, all right, so um, wh why did you, why did, I guess, why did you guys choose dating? Or why did you choose to date? Huh? What did you choose to date? Come on, guys. <laughs> yes? Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Did everybody hear that? <laughs> right, hold on, hold on, there's Mike. Okay. <laughs> uh, so you have a mutual interest, or maybe it's one-sided and the other, you know, like it can be a mix of, uh, but there's a hint of yeah. affection and interest in maybe seeing where, you know, if this is something long-term, this is something that can pan out um, and yeah, it starts off with physical attraction. Yes, yes. And that can't lie about that. Yep. And uh, and then to take it from there to hopefully see it as something long term. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Anyone else? What do you guys choose to date? So, uh, Rob, Rob, Ron. Sorry, I know your name. I'm just. <clears throat> so yeah. So Ron, yeah, Ron said attraction. Okay, anyone else? To find someone to, to yes, to find somebody to share your life with. And so what do you look for? What do you guys look for when you date or before dating? What is it? Oh, come on. Yeah, I see a smile over there. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> what do you guys what do you guys look for when you date? What do you guys want? Yes. To be compatible Yeah. To be to be compatible with your family, yes, that's very, very important. What else? What else? Come on, guys, dialogue. Similar ideals, yes. So there's certain so compatible with your family, there's some sort of similar ideal, there's some sort of sameness there, okay? What else? Okay, explain. Okay. Mm. Okay. So spontaneous. Yeah. So adventure. There's there's fun. Adventure. Good. Okay. What else? Sense of safety, yes. There's somebody who you can feel safe with. Yes. Yes? Meaning? And I walk into it because I believe in myself. There will come a time when, like, our image, our, the belief in ourselves will change. The marriage has to last because we both believe in something external to ourselves. So, yes. So In this case it's God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So right. So to expand on to expand on what you said, so there has to be a direction. There there has to be something more greater, something more grandier. Yeah, okay. Okay, good. What else? So, let me ask you another quick question. Okay? I hope that you guys will all respond, okay? But let me ask you a question. How many of us know people in our church? No, no. How many of us know? <laughs> no, let, let me rephrase that. How many of us know? How many of us know people from our community who are dating an unbeliever? Yeah. How many of us know them? Okay, and how do we how do we define what a believer is? What makes you a Christian? In a, in a God, in the God, in Jesus, but you're believing that that He has saved me, right? He gave Him good. Okay, so so going to church does that make you a Christian? No. So I know. So maybe a couple of years ago, I was at a retreat, and there was this one young man uh, came up to me and said, hey, I need to talk to you. And he, he came up and he said, hey, you know, I need to really talk to you about someone. And I said, okay. And he has been attending church for a long, long time. He's very familiar with Jesus and all of these kind of things. But he said, hey, is it wrong for me to marry a Hindu? And I said, well, if you're a believer... Yes, it's wrong. It is. And then he goes and then he goes on to say, Well, I think this is what really got me even more further because I um, I still have we have still we have conversations with him as, even to this day, but he said uh, what, <laughs> I guess one of the things that he did say he said 
I cannot give up Jesus. I mean, I'm sorry, I cannot give up this girl for Jesus. I cannot. And so the reason why I share this, that example is that when there's, so the purpose of marriage is what, not only there's, you know, you're, you're attracted, you're date and all these different things, but there has to be a bond that would, that would, I guess that would point to the same direction, pointing to the same truth. So you can grow up, you can grow up into the church and all these different things, but you must understand that when you find that person, if you're a believer, you need to marry a believer. Is that, is, is that, is that wrong? What, what do you think? Is that, do you think that's, what do you think about that? So like how many of us are dating right now? How many, okay, and may I ask if it's okay? May I ask, is this person a believer? <clears throat> and how important is that for us? How important is that for us? I mean, we need to really think through this. How important is that for us? Because, you know, friendship, or I guess friendship, or at least someone, I mean, you know, when I was, I guess when I was growing, oh gosh, I can't believe I'm saying this, but when I was growing up, uh, when I was growing up in high school, I mean, I, I never really had much friends, um, especially females. I wasn't much of a looker. But during that during that during that time during that time you know girls want a guy like Kirk Cameron or new kids on the block I don't know if you guys know this uh, <laughs> new new kids on the block or boys to men or or whatnot but I used I used to remember that I used to remember that I, I used to get so dressed up put on my sh shoes spend hours on the mirror to make sure that one hair is in place <laughs> so that so that I can create some sort of impression so I can create some sort of, I'm sure that all of us, we all have our own stories about how do we, how do we, hey, how do we, you know, how do we, how do we begin this friendship with this opposite gender? And many of us fall, or I guess many of us fall only on the basis of attraction. That there is some sort of physical appealing. There's, there's, I'm, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but 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 when it comes to there has to be something more deeper because ultimately our beauty tends to fade <laughs> it really does believe it really does <laughs> you will never look <laughs> you will never look the same since marriage you just won't you just won't <laughs> you will not you will not and so and so what I'm saying is I mean Attraction is, is good, it's helpful. I mean, even in the Songs of Songs, it would say, the woman saw Solomon and saw that what she liked. There is attraction, right? The Bible actually sanctions it. So Adam's love song, remember? Adam's love song and Jacob's, Jacob's attraction to Rachel. But the Bible calls something more deeper. There has to be something more lasting because beauty will fade. Attraction will fade. Believe me, if you guys are fit now, it will change. Trust me. <laughs> Trust me, it will change. And so if you're trying to make yourself pretty, 
Okay, if you're trying to make yourself pretty so that some guy or some girl can notice you, it's just empty at the end of the day. It's just empty. We're, we, it just always will lead to empty. Did you know, actually when I was preparing for this talk, did you know that um, we live in a beauty-driven world? Well, maybe you might have known, but we live in a beauty-driven world. We're all about selfies, actually. I was reading a survey. It says, as of 2013, but now I don't know, but as of 2013, did you know that 41 million pictures included the hashtag selfie? But now it has increased about 200%. 200%. We're always trying to enhance something that will make it more appealing. I mean, you have authors, you have ministry leaders, actually. You have Christian school teachers, professionals, stay-at-home mom. They're not happy with the way they look. So they go and to fix, they go somewhere to fix, to enhance some sort of... But that is just so shallow. So if you're consumed with physical attraction, you are being deceived. You know, in Proverbs, it actually says, charm is deceptive. So if you find a guy who's charming, be careful. I, I'm serious. If you find, that's what the Bible says. If you find a guy who is, if you're fully, if you're focusing on that, if you find a guy who is, char wow, he's so charming. Be careful. Be careful. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is empty. It's vain. It's vain. You know, like uh, <clears throat> when before my marriage to Saum, I'm not saying that this should be a model for everybody at all. <clears throat> but Saum and I actually developed a great friendship. We developed a great friendship and, uh, oh my gosh, it's 2.30. Um, you guys got to go? Okay. Well, let Huh? J just for hiking? Oh, okay. So, oh, so, if, oh, so, okay. So if the hikers, yeah. So if the hikers, I'll see you later. <laughs> so, so before my before our marriage uh, with my wife. Um, we developed a great, great friendship. I mean, yes, we were attracted to each other, okay? We were attracted to each other. Uh, this friendship was, but this friendship was actually defined in the context of community. So before we even thought about dating or anything like that, we developed a great friendship. It, it, we, we verbalized, you know, what we like to do, what we, what we had fun, we had fun with each other and all these different things. And so uh, out of that context, because I know even Shalu, Shalu is right there. So Shalu knows. Shalu, there he is. That's that's Shalu. He knows because we went to the same church together. Yep, we went to the same church together, and in that context, we developed such a great friendship, so that we got to know each other. We shared our stories. We shared our all these things before we actually we before we made this commitment towards marriage. And when we when we're thinking about marriage, okay, when we're thinking about finding that particular person, do it in the context of community. 
get to know that person through that context. Because what you want to do is to guard your heart. You want to guard your heart at the end of the day. You don't, we don't want to be deceived because there, we are all about impression. We want to be impressed by so many things. And when you find a particular person who is impressive, there might be a lot of things that is, that is really dark realities. So when we are living in the context of community and we're developing friendship, that's the best way to get to know one another. And let's say that you, you finally says, hey, I like you. Oh, I like you too. Let's say that you verbalize both of how you felt with each other. Then you approach, again, this is how we did it. We approached mutual friends who are older than us to keep us accountable, to pray for us. But at the same time, we actually wanted to seek parents' approval. We wanted to make sure that they also know that this is real. This is heading towards marriage. So if we cultivate that kind of, that kind of, uh, again, I'm not saying that what, I'm not saying one is right, okay? I'm just saying this is a better way or a better perspective of how do we handle or how do we have, how do we cultivate good friendship? Because friendship actually creates bond. You then begin to share the same truth. Then you begin to look at what something's much more greater to a deeper horizon, a deeper focus a deeper purpose. Someone who shares your deepest interests, someone who shares your deepest passions. And that's, you know, that, that, that's, that's really, I believe that's really important. Because when we, when we think about dating in our culture, actually, when we think about dating, especially in American culture, it's like a hookup, hookup, I think that's what, I think you mentioned that. It's really a hookup culture. That's what it is. It's, love is very, very shallow. It's very shallow. You're always about the first impression and always about uh, what you like to see and all these different things. But within the context of a community, within the context of a community who knows you, who loves you, who wants to protect you, out of that, pursue a relationship with deep accountability. I mean deep accountability. <clears throat> there, there um, C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis, I mean, he's, I, I love to read his books. C.S. Lewis is such a phenomenal uh, author. Uh, in his book, Four Loves, he, he actually differentiated between erotic love and friendship. So erotic, erotic love is basically all about passions and beauty and all of, the, all of these things, but friendship is much more deeper. So he goes, he goes on to say that when, what he, when he says about eros, he say, or erotic love, he says two people are constantly looking at each other. They're, they're like, oh my gosh, I love you. Or, you're either, or love. They're looking at each other. <laughs> they're not looking at anything else, but they're so looking at each other. They're, they're integrated and, and all of these things. And they're, they're, if they don't like, oh, I don't like that. Maybe I like that person. So they're always looking at each other. It's erotic. But, but C.S. Lewis explains even further about filio's love, in other words, friendship. And what he means by that is two people not really looking at each other, but standing side by side. You're standing side by side, shoulder to shoulder, shoulder looking at something else in common. That's, that's important. So it's not about, because your feelings and all of these things will go, trust me, it will go. 
And I've told, we've mentioned our beauty all will fade. It will fade. But if we're standing shoulder to shoulder, stand, we're looking at something else. We're sharing the same truth, but we're looking at something else in common. That's what it means. And what makes a great marriage is seeing friendship with tremendous, of, tremendous amount of unity. There's a deep bond, but you're looking at the same focus. You're looking at the same focus. So a Christian marriage is supposed to be a friend in your greatest passion and a companion for your greatest journey. Let me repeat that one more time. A Christian marriage is supposed to be a friend in your greatest passion and a companion for your greatest journey. <clears throat> Why does that matter? Why it matters because because if you when you fall in love with someone who's we you are actually getting a front row seat or or getting a glimpse of what God will do in and through that person. So if if the focus is God, if if the faith is looking at Jesus, looking at the gospel, if both of you are looking at that, standing side by side, you are looking at each other and seeing a glimpse of what God is doing in and through that person. Because ultimately, you're not looking at your flaws. I mean, you're not. You won't. I mean, flaws will be highlighted, but you're looking at what God... Because we bring flaws to the table, right? Marriage doesn't create our flaws. It just magnifies them. Who said that? There was somebody who said that. But it really does magnify them. It shows them, it reveals them. It's, it's like, it's almost like, okay, it's almost like, like Jack and Rose in the movie Titanic. No, it is. It's almost like, I mean, if you, do you guys remember the last scene? They were in the water. They're in the water. The ship sunk. The ship sunk. They were in the water. And, and Jack looked at Rose. He looked at Rose and he said, this is what he said. He said, listen, Rose, you're going to get out of here. You're going to get out of here. You're going to go on. You're going to make lots of babies. You're going to watch them grow. You're going to die old. You're going you're gonna to be a lady warm. You're going to be an old lady warm in the bed. Not here. You're not going to die here. So even though that might be a weak example, what I'm trying to say is Jack got a glimpse. He got a glimpse of what he sees in Rose. Now, in, in the Christian marriage, given the reality of the gospel of grace, given the reality that our God is, is about making all things new, marriage is seeing, getting a glimpse of what God is going to do with that person. You know, in Ephesians 5, if you have your... Turn with me to Ephesians 5, and I'll show you what I mean specifically. Ephesians 5... Verse, verse 26. And so this is, so now this is the picture of what Christ and the church is, right? And we are, as, as married couple, this is what we are to display. But this is what he says. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And then listen to this. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present her 
the church in, to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, without any kind of blemish. So this is, see, our Christian marriage is not only just about us. It's a greater picture of Christ and the church. And if, if we are the bride and we are coming to Christ, that means he's, he's seeing a glimpse of what we'll be like. And that is the context of the, that is basically our context in our marriage. We are seeing a glimpse of what, what my God will do with sound. And she should look at God, what God will do through me. But that's the picture. That's the purpose of marriage. So, did, did that make sense? Any like any questions? Do you guys want to ask related to that? When it comes to dating and friendship and all of that. Questions. For myself, one of the um, personal things that I found was kind of the illusion that just because you might date somebody within your church doesn't mean that they are um, believers. And I think that's a tough thing to come to because you brought up the um, narrative of marrying outside like a Hindu. But I think there's almost more danger in sometimes not really evaluating who we date within the church and I'm speaking from my own personal testimony, not anything else, and kind of thinking that, okay, I'm on the right path, I found somebody within my church, and you automatically assume that they're a believer looking out in the same direction, and how that kind of affects you inside thinking that you are on this path, and just kind of being misled yeah. by what you automatically assume is there. Right. And that and that's even that's huge. Even within the church, you could be easily misled but that's that's yeah that's that's thank you for sharing that <clears throat> I know that this topic is huge and when it comes to friendship when it when it comes to finding that significant other and all of these different things but if we if we are seeing the same truth if we're cultivating friendship within the context of community and talking to older people, older brothers and sisters, talking to your achen, all, you know, ones that you have a relationship with, where you can actively pray through, what does this mean for marriage, what is it, it's really, really helpful when it comes to your own marriage. <clears throat> One of the things that uh, uh, we talked, I, I think we talked about uh, throughout this weekend is counseling, I believe. I think you mentioned it or... Yeah. So people have mentioned about this counseling. One of the things that we often do is premarital counseling, which is very important. Church, does, church should do premarital counseling. But I would really encourage, maybe, I, I think because our own story and the, the mess that we have created, at least I've created, and the things that I've gone through because of my past, and I just didn't know how to, how to have any categories because we were, our marriage really struggled. And we had no counseling and to have some sort of counseling in the church is very helpful for married couples because the greatest gift that you can give to your children is your marriage is your marriage I mean besides Jesus Christ himself but 
but greatest gift is your marriage. Any other questions, comments? I just had, a, I guess, a question about um, homosexuality. So if an individual, like a youth member, identifies in our church as a homosexual, how should we, how would you address that? Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that is just loaded. I mean, I mean, like I've said before, I think it's very vitally important that we do not ostracize those people. We do not ostracize. But how do we enter into their world without compromising truth? I think that is absolutely necessary. Because you've heard the story from, it was a moving story. Each time I read that story, it's moving to me about Rosier Butterfield, who was an intellectual. She struggled with Christianity. But when she found this pastor, or at least when the pastor initiated a conversation, he never really accused her. He wasn't bigoted. He wasn't like a Pharisee. But what caught her? Ken's prayer, his sin, was moving to her. See, one of the things about when you read through the book of Acts, when you read through the book of Acts, you know one of the biggest things why Christianity spread? It's not just through information. It's not. It's through human touch. Christ, Christ, God lived in an unapproachable light, but he came down. And when the gospel becomes real, it cannot be abstract. It has to be concrete. It has to be specific. It has to be entered into your specific context. Otherwise, the gospel will not make any sense to anyone. Because what the gospel does give is life. It's a struggle. There is a tension. There's always a pull. It is a train wreck. Because you're going to lose what you love. You have to deny yourself. But with him, as C.S. Lewis would say, you have everything thrown in. You have everything thrown in. Yes, Lindsay. Why do you think the narrative in the Christian community is so focused on the sin of uh, being homosexual versus we've got gossipers, um, cheaters, molesters, drunkards. We have so many other sins that exist and sinners, right, all of us that exist within our church community, and yet there's such a strong focus on, and even when you made a commentary about what's in media, there's so much about gun violence, sex, inappropriate behavior, and yet none of those um, arenas get the attention that this does. And I guess in Christianity, or like in our faith, why do we practice in such a way? Or I don't know if that's, it's, it's a loaded answer, but I just, I don't know if you have any input into why this direction on, on this group of individuals when, you know, I can go to a wedding and nobody's bothered by anybody that's at the bar. Yeah. I might be one of them too, but yeah. I'm just saying, nobody's attacking me, you know? So yeah. why this push to attack these individuals and really hold that as a focus? Yeah. I mean, the only, the only thing that I could think of is <clears throat> many of us, when we see sin, we see, in our, we see the sin as a, le there's levels to extreme sin and 
not really so extreme. But in the eyes of God, in the eyes of God, you are children, you are objects of God's wrath. So in the eyes of God, God will not see sin as layered or even respectable sins. There's no way God will never, if you're a gossiper or homosexual, you you're both have fallen short of the glory of God, period. But because of our self-righteousness, because we operate religion based on our lens, we look at homosexual as if, oh, you know what, I am better than those people. I am better than those kind of people. Those kind, those kind. It's like the tax collector and the and the and the and the Pharisee. That story, that narrative, where oh, I'm better than, I'm better than this tax collector over there. The sin, the sin is easily, it can be deceptive. It can, we can have self-righteous. There's Pharisaic tendencies. But God, whether you're a gossiper, loveless, whatever it may be, God, hatred. If you have committed lust. In your heart, you have already committed adultery. So God shifted that whole paradigm, not just physical. There is the heart element too. And when God sees it, there's sin. But that's why there's, well, at the end of the day, that's why we as a church sing, what can wash away our sin, including the homosexual? What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood. So I think we ourselves, I think we ourselves as a church, we would need to repent even deeper of how do we, move towards people like love. Like, if you think about the, even the whole narratives of the Gospels itself, who are the people that was most attracted to Jesus? It was the tax collectors. It was the outcast. It was the people who were the lepers. These people came in droves. They were attracted to people. They were attracted to Jesus himself. But, but the Pharisees weren't because they had a layer of what sin is and what sin is not. <clears throat> Any other questions? I hope that this conversation was helpful. I pray that this conversation will be carried on to to levels of your leadership and and you know making sure that we ourselves study and read through and pray through what it means to look at our own sin in light of the gospel, and what it means to look at other people who are different than us. And then at the same time, especially when it comes to marriage and how do we cultivate friendship? How do we, do we have same faith? Do we believe in Jesus? Do, are we saved? Are we not saved? You know, things of that nature, those conversations need to be also dialogued as well. Okay. <clears throat> so let me pray. My gracious Father, we come before you and we have nothing at the end of the day. There's nothing in the hands we bring. Simply to the cross we cling. That's all we're doing. And I pray, Lord, in light of this conference and in light of this session in particular about marriage and the gospel, I pray, Lord, that you would create in us a heart, a fresh vision of what the gospel looks like in marriages especially in a culture that we live in when it's declining, when marriages are easily cancelable. Lord, I pray that you would give us a sense of your covenant of what that actually looks like in the present day. 
to love our spouses well, to cultivate community, friendships, that we will look to the same horizon, sharing the same bond of truth. And so that, so that this marriage cannot be just operating on, on, on silos, basically, but it's to the world, God. It's to showcase your, your love. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to cultivate humility, help us to befriend people who are unlike us, help us to repent of our own sins, and help us to have conversations both upward and across of what it means to live according to the gospel. We thank you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe you're dismissed. <laughs>